distracted and fixated. Like an accident on the side of the road, we can't look away. Something or someone has our attention. We are followers. We are all following something. Sports teams, political candidates, natural disasters, breaking news, financial markets, technology trends, famous people. The list never ends. What is your curious obsession? Who or what are you following? Is Jesus on your list? Does he turn in and out of your thoughts? Is he a consideration of who you are and what you do? He should. Let your heart catch fire with what it means to be a Jesus follower. Your life never be the same. Uh, David to come forward. There's something that he wanted to share and we needed to pray over. So, David? I took my hat off, so brace your eyes there. <laughs> God bless me with more face. <laughs> so, um, I follow very, very little news. We don't have a TV anymore. We got rid of that about a year ago. And um, we started a prayer warriors group in that corner over there that we do before the sermon. So I don't know if you've noticed, uh, so far this morning, we've talked about prayer a lot. Prayer is very, very, very important. I've seen a lot of different ministries out of there. They're praying for Israel right now. I follow one thing, really, on the social media, shall we say, and it's a regular newsletter from Amir Safardi. He's in Israel. He's pretty darn amazing. And um, I just saw some very, very disturbing things. And one thing that we need to do is be desperate. We started the prayer warriors thing there because about a six months ago, seven months ago, we saw that there was close to 12,000 people died in an earthquake in Turkey and Syria. That wasn't on the news. Almost nothing on the news on that. Okay. Um, how many people know that there's 2,500 people died in Afghanistan in an earthquake just a couple weeks ago? Not very many people. It's not on the news. Okay, so with that in mind, um, we had several cities yesterday that had over 10,000 people supporting the Hamas. Los Angeles, New York, Chicago. But there is some comedy relief in this. Italy did the same thing about four days ago, and instead of carrying Palestinian flags, they had Italian flags. They didn't realize it. <laughs> so uh, Italy's feeling very loved right now. <laughs> But the uh, thing is, is um, we do need to pray for Israel. I've seen lots of churches doing this, and we need to pray for Israel. We need to pray for them in a big, big way. Um, this is not a political stance here whatsoever. But more so, praying for Israel, we also need to pray against our enemy, and that's Satan. Satan works, he is a stupid, stupid, evil liar. He does the same thing over and over and over again. He tries to deceive. He deceived a group of people a long time ago that wanted to kill all of Israel, wanted to kill all the Jews, and those were, those were called Nazis. And he deceived them so well that so many people fell, fell right into it. We're doing it again. Where now our youth are being convinced that it's okay to go out and kill Jews again, to the point where Hitler's picture was put on the Michigan football screen yesterday. Okay, we're believing that it's okay. So what I want to do right now is have all of us pray together against the enemy and the lies. Amen. Okay. 
Father, we just come to you. We know that you are so powerful. You led Jehoshaphat back in First Chronicles where you just said, all you have to do is go out there and bow down to me and pray and your enemy will de- be defeated. We know that you can defeat any enemy. Mm-hmm. And the biggest enemy we have out there right now is Satan. We keep turning to him over and over and over again, Lord. We know it's wrong, but we keep doing it. Please forgive us, Lord. Please just take all of our sins and just wash us clean and let the, let everybody's eyes be open for at least just a little while to see that they're being deceived by the enemy again. Yeah. Lord, we want to conquer this enemy. We are here together to say, Satan, be gone. We want nothing to do with you. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you, brother. That's one thing I hope that uh, we are known for as being a praying church, praying right into every situation that's going on because we have the power at our fingertips in the Holy Spirit. And we've got to tap into that, all of us, in our lives, in everything we come encounter, everything we encounter, the power of prayer. I couldn't, can't emphasize that enough. Now, I want to start out today by highlighting a recent survey by the Cultural Research Center at Arizona Christian University. And uh, George Barna and his team, they had uh, taken this survey just a few years ago, and they said that nearly 70% of Americans claim to be Christian. That's a staggering number. Can you imagine what America would actually look like if 70% of its people were truly Christians? Imagine what our government could get done if the people in our government were Christians, right? I wonder if we'd have this 30-some-plus trillion dollars in debt. I mean, I could go on on all the issues that are going on out there that if they were truly God-fearing Christians, would we be having these same kind of problems? Now, here's where this gets really interesting. Nearly 70% of Americans claim to be Christian, but only 6% possess a biblical worldview and demonstrate a consistent understanding and application of biblical principles. So what this tells us is is that there is a huge gap between those who think they're Christians and those who actually are. This is one of the main reasons why I personally don't even like the label Christian anymore. Because this world has hijacked what it means to be a Christian. I actually prefer the term Jesus follower. Because you can say and do whatever you want and think to be a Christian. But to be a Jesus follower, you have to actually follow Jesus. And that's what we're going to focus on today. Now, before we get into today's message, let me be clear and say that the Bible teaches that those who believe in the Lord Jesus will be saved. So belief, which is simply another word for faith, is the only thing that we must possess to be saved. However, as I said last week, Profession without submission, it means nothing. True saving faith is a belief that obeys. To think that we can have faith but not demonstrate it through our actions is actually a dead faith. It is worthless and it will not save us. This is exactly what James teaches in James chapter 2. Now, in case you're immediately bowing up at me about what I just said about obedience... (laughs) Or thinking, hey, Ian, you're just being too legalistic. I also said last week that our obedience is not about perfection. It's all about direction. 
And that direction should lead us to be fully devoted and faithful followers of Jesus. Now, we're going to unpack today what it means to be a true follower of Jesus. Because professing to be a Christian without submitting and actually following Jesus means nothing. Please open your Bibles to our text for today in Mark chapter 1, verse 16. I'm wondering why my clicker is not working here. Mark chapter 1, verse 16. Man. You guys aren't seeing what I'm seeing, are you? You know, this is awesome because the ladies yesterday said in their whole thing they had not one technical glitch. Not one. And I come in today and look at this. So let me just stop. Father, we ask right now in your mighty name that all this stuff that's going on over here in this technology would leave right now in Jesus' name and that we would be able to focus, hear your word for what it is, with or without the technology. And so we'll give you the glory regardless of what happens in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so let me close this down and open it back up, and we'll try this again. Because it would be much better if you can actually see the screen um, as we go through this. But Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 16. If you don't have a Bible, you can pick one up here on the shelf, or you hopefully can follow along on the screen in just a minute as this boots back up. Are we seeing it? Okay. Praise the Lord. See, I told you, prayer is awesome, isn't it? As he, Jesus, passed alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, Simon's brother, casting a net into the sea. For they were fishermen. Follow me, Jesus told them, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, putting their nets in order. Immediately he called to them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. This text shows us what discipleship looks like. And it's simply to follow Jesus. Notice that Jesus did not say, Hey, why don't you call yourselves Christians now and keep doing what you're doing? He didn't say, Believe in me and I'll give you everything you want. He didn't even say, follow me and everything in your life will be perfect. No, he simply said two words, follow me. And these two words were not a suggestion. They were a command. And this was not the first time that Jesus encountered these men, but it was their initial call to discipleship. And what's important to note here is how they responded. They immediately left everything and they followed Jesus. That's what disciples do. They follow. You see, the gospel is not an invitation to just tack on to whatever we have going on in our lives. It's not just a feel-good message that we can file away for a rainy day. The gospel is an invitation for complete transformation. So much of what we see today, unfortunately, is a cotton candy kind of gospel or a seeker-friendly kind of gospel. But the true gospel demands a true response, and we only have one of two responses. Either continue to follow your own way, or leave everything and follow God's way. To choose God's way begins by doing exactly what Jesus said to do. 
repent and believe. That's what we covered last week in this series. Now, to actually live the Christian life is all about who we follow and how we follow. Jesus gave a command in our text for today. Follow me. And the real question that we need to ask ourselves is this. Who am I really following? Me or him? So what does it mean to follow Jesus? While salvation is a free gift, discipleship will cost you everything. Everything. It's tragic that so many people see how much Jesus gave in securing their salvation, but they themselves are willing to give so little in return for it. But the truth is, when we accept His salvation, by His free grace, through our faith, there is a transfer of ownership that occurs. We no longer belong to ourselves. We were bought with a very high price, the blood of Jesus Christ. And the payment for our sins that He paid with His life for those of us who believe in Him demands that we understand that following Him will cost us everything. It will cost us everything. So to truly understand this, we're going to look at seven principles of being a disciple, a true follower of Jesus. Now let's begin by turning over to Luke chapter 14, beginning in verse 25. Luke chapter 14, beginning in verse 25. Luke records here, he says, Now great crowds were traveling with him. Talking about Jesus. Great crowds were traveling with Jesus. Before I continue in in this text, let me first say that as Jesus traveled and preached more and more, many people began to travel with him. The crowds just started getting bigger and bigger and bigger. But Jesus was never interested in how big the crowds were. And he never tailored his message to tickle their ears so that he'd win more of them over. In fact, he did quite the opposite because his focus was never about gaining fans but on gaining true followers. You see, fans love to sit on the sidelines and cheer, Yay! Go Jesus! But they don't actually get involved in much of anything. They stay close enough to try and enjoy all the benefits, but far enough away to not have to get involved, right? So they, anything that's demanded of them, they won't have to do it. But actually following Jesus will cost us everything. Most of the people in the crowds that were traveling with Jesus, they were fans. They were there to see the miracles, to enjoy the perks, to get the food, to get the wine, and everything that they could get. Fans focus on what they can get, while followers focus on what they can give. I'll say that another way. Fans love to consume, while followers love to contribute. Fans focus on themselves while followers focus on others. Fans talk about ministry because they're spectators. Followers actually do ministry because they're participants. Fans are often casual or lukewarm. Followers are committed, sold out, all in. Fans try while followers train. Now, this is so good. Let me stop and explain this. Fans try. Here's what they'll say. I'm trying to get better at this. I'm trying to overcome that. Followers don't just try. They train. They train for righteousness, meaning there is a commitment to discipline, to learning, to growing. There is a walking out of their faith where they are exercising their spiritual muscles. 
Their training is intentional, purposeful, and consistent. Fans try while followers train. There are so many differences between fans of Jesus and followers of Jesus. And sadly, this world is full of fans of Jesus, but so few are actually followers of Jesus. Think back to the survey that we talked about in the beginning, that 70% of America claims to be Christian, but only 6% are actually living it out. Now, I want you to see what Jesus says to these great crowds that were following him. I want you to notice that it was not a pep rally. It wasn't an inspirational speech to make you go home and feel all warm and fuzzy on the inside. No, his words were perfectly designed to separate enthusiastic, admiring fans from true God-fearing followers. So, here's what Jesus said to them in Luke chapter 14, beginning in verse 25. He said, 26 at rather. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoa, wait a minute. Back the bus up. That seems pretty harsh, doesn't it? I mean, that's not a way to grow the crowd. So here we see principle number one on how to be a true follower of Jesus. We must choose faith over family. Faith over family. Now, Jesus was obviously using hyperbole in this text that we just saw together. He didn't literally mean that we are to actually hate our family. What he's saying is that our love and our devotion to him should be so far superior in comparison to the love and devotion that we have for our family that it looks like hatred by comparison. So it's not really hatred towards our family that Jesus is asking of true followers of him. It's actually a lesser kind of love where we love him over and above anything and anyone, including our own families. This is consistent with the greatest commandment ever given in the Bible, which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. So Jesus is saying that to follow him, we have to choose our faith over our family. And for some people, this is really tough to swallow. But to be a true follower of Jesus, he must be number one in our lives over and above anything and everyone, including our own families. Now, Jesus takes this even a step further at the end of verse 26 when he says, yes, and even his own life. So to follow Jesus... Not only are we to hate our families in comparison to the love we have for him, we are to hate our own lives by comparison as well. And this brings me to principle number two on how to follow Jesus. We must choose sacrifice over self-centeredness. Sacrifice over self-centeredness. Now, this is completely counter to our culture today, which is so heavily focused on self. Look at me. Satisfy me, entertain me, make me feel good, please me, give to me. Our culture is all about what's in it for me. But following Jesus is all about Him. It's all about Him. And that means the focus should never be on ourselves. It's about total and complete surrender to Him. And there are many of us that struggle with this. Oh, we're so good at compartmentalizing our lives. Lord, you can have this, but don't touch these things over here. These are mine. Don't ask me to give up my comfort. 
Don't ask me to give up my money or my career or my hobbies or my entertainment or even my time. No, these things are mine, and I'm in charge of what happens in these areas. You can have my Sunday mornings when I come to church, but everything else belongs to me. Don't ask me to give up any of these things. Come on. That's how many of us act if we're truly honest with ourselves. But to be a true follower of Jesus, we have to be willing to sacrifice anything and everything that would compete with our affections towards Jesus or our obedience to Jesus. We must choose sacrifice over self-centeredness. Now, Jesus goes on to say in Luke chapter 14, verse 27, that whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. These are incredibly strong words. Now, most of us will probably never have to carry a literal cross and be crucified upon it like Jesus was. Many of us will also never have to suffer to the degree that Jesus did. But that's not the point that Jesus is making here. To follow Jesus, we must be willing to suffer for our faith by whatever it takes, up to and including death. And this leads us to principle number three on how to follow Jesus. We must choose pain over pleasure. Pain over pleasure. This is really hard because our world is so good at making us feel comfortable. We often shy away from things that would make us feel uncomfortable or that would take away from our pleasure. But to follow Jesus, we will have to choose pain over pleasure. Jesus never promised that following him would lead to an easy life. But to those who trust in him and follow him with their lives, he did promise to never leave them nor forsake them. He also promised that he would be our helper so that we would never have to face the circumstances in our lives alone. So yes, there will be times that we're going to have to take up our cross, meaning we will have to deny ourselves and choose pain over pleasure. In fact, in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, this is a daily requirement for true followers of Jesus. We must die to ourselves, our plans, our ambitions, and be willing to follow him whenever, wherever, and however he leads. Now, our fourth principle on how to follow Jesus is that we must choose relationship over religion. Relationship over religion. Notice what Jesus said at the end of Luke chapter 14, verse 27. He said, And whoever does not follow me cannot be my disciple. In the culture when Jesus walked this earth, a rabbi would often invite someone to come follow them. And this invitation meant the person would then become a learner of them. So the question for you and I today, if we say that we're followers of Jesus, is are we following him by being a learner of him? In other words, are we learning from him? Are we growing spiritually? Are we seeking wisdom and understanding by reading and studying his word? Or are we just being religious where we're essentially going through the motions of our faith? We come to church. We may get involved from time to time. We may even open our Bibles. We could even be giving money to the church. But we really have to ask ourselves, why am I doing these things? Is it to check a box? Is it to make ourselves feel good? Is it to think that if I do these things that I will receive God's favor? What God really wants is a relationship with us, not a religion. 
So what Jesus is saying here is that a true follower of him doesn't just mingle in the crowd and do some religious things. No, they choose to enter into an intimate, deep, and personal relationship with him that is distinguished by being a learner of him. Don't ever be deceived into thinking that you are more spiritual by following the rules or the traditions of religion. The only way we can be more spiritual or actually grow in our faith is by having an intimate relationship with Jesus. True followers of Jesus will choose relationship over religion every time. Now, our fifth principle on how to follow Jesus really strikes a chord because it forces us to count the cost of following him. We cannot make the decision to follow Jesus and then live our lives the same way that we've been living them before. It's just not possible because the invitation to follow Jesus is not about maintaining the status quo in our lives or even making some little improvements from here from time to time. No, the invitation to follow Jesus is an invitation for complete transformation. We don't ever stay the same when we encounter Jesus. So to truly follow him, we're now going to have to choose commitment over convenience. Commitment over convenience. Here's what Jesus said in Luke chapter 14, verse 28. He said, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, Everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. What Jesus is getting at here is that the builder would never just start the project without first ensuring that he has what's needed to complete it. It's the same for us as followers of Jesus. We have got to count the cost of what it means to be a true follower of Jesus. So what is the cost? We've already covered much of what the cost is as it requires us to choose faith over family, sacrifice over self-centeredness, pain over pleasure, relationship over religion. And these are just some of the costs of following him. There are going to be things that we're going to have to give up. It may be our money. It may be comforts. It may be our freedom. It may be our career. It may be our social status. It could very well someday be our very lives. The cost of following Jesus is nothing short of total and complete surrender. It's where we place our emphasis on our commitment to Him over our convenience to us. How committed are we? Are we willing to choose commitment over convenience? Because that's the cost to truly following Jesus. Total and complete commitment to His plans, His purpose, and His glory. We have to really ask ourselves, Are we willing to give him permission to interrupt our schedules? We can be so busy doing our many things and striving for many goals, much of which really doesn't have any eternal value if we really stop to look at it. Are we willing to be inconvenienced by his priorities? And let's be honest with ourselves, our agendas are often not his agendas. He may want us to do or say something that will inconvenience us. It will take our time. It will take our attention. And even more than this, the cost of following Jesus may require us to go through some incredible hardship or persecution. A true follower of Jesus will never turn away the minute the going gets tough. No, true followers of Jesus, they endure. They always endure hardship. They keep their eyes on him all the way through any hardship, 
any trial, any persecution. They don't cave. They don't give up. They persevere. Why? Because they're fully committed. They are all in. There is no turning back, ever. The world wants us to be casual. Just enjoy life. Live it up. Be happy. Take care of you. But the truth when it comes to our relationship with Jesus is that we can either be casual or we can be committed. But we can never be casually committed. To follow Jesus, we must choose His commitment over our convenience. The sixth principle on how to follow Jesus is stewardship over ownership. Stewardship over ownership. Jesus said in Luke chapter 14, verse 33, He said, Those of you who do not give up everything that you have cannot be my disciples. To follow Jesus requires a complete transfer of ownership. Everything, including ourselves, now becomes His. And the truth is, it all belongs to Him anyway. He owns everything because He created everything. We have to surrender our entitlement, our ownership, our control. Now, it's okay to have stuff. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. If the Lord provides the resources for you to have things, then great. But we must be careful that our possessions never possess us. Jesus warns us about this when He says, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Our hearts follow what we treasure. That's what Jesus is saying here. It's also why we're warned in Scripture to make sure to guard our hearts. We have to make sure that our treasure is Jesus. Because if we truly treasure Him the way the Bible tells us to, we will have everything we will ever need. There will be nothing that you lack. When we follow Him, our lives are no longer about ownership. It becomes all about stewardship, meaning we no longer are in control of everything or enjoy everything for selfish gain. Stewardship is when we faithfully manage everything we have in a way that glorifies God. So we must ask ourselves, what am I doing with what God has given me? What am I doing with it? First, are we thankful? Is our mindset thankfulness or entitlement? Do we hold on to stuff loosely or do we hold on to it tightly? Do we share our stuff with others or are we stingy and selfish? We have to realize that to follow Jesus, He becomes the owner of everything in our lives and we then become the manager. And how we manage what God has given us is what we call stewardship. So the real question is, do we manage what God has given us, our stuff, our bodies, our time, for His glory or for ours? If it's for our glory, then we're still acting like we're the owner. Because a true follower of Jesus will consistently choose stewardship over ownership. Now, the final principle on how to follow Jesus is usefulness over uselessness. Usefulness over uselessness. We see this in Luke chapter 14, verse 34, where Jesus says this. He says, salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor the manure pile. It is thrown out. So in Jesus' day, salt served two two primary purposes. One was to season food, and two was to preserve food. 
in either purpose, salt is a change agent. It brings about change. It changes the way food tastes by enhancing the flavor. You guys know what it's like to cook a nice, good steak on the grill, right? And you throw some salt on it. How good is that? Mashed potatoes with some salt, corn on the cob with some salt. Y'all are getting hungry, aren't you? (laughs) Salt adds flavor. It's a flavor enhancer. That's what salt does. So it changes the flavor. It also changes food from spoiling to preserving. That's what they used it for way back then. They used it to help preserve food. So in the same way that salt changes the things it comes in contact with, you and I, as Christ followers of Jesus, should be changing the world around us by influencing it for Jesus. And when we make ourselves useful to Him, we can do great things for Him. We can add to people's lives by pointing them to Jesus. We can point them to the truth. We can give them hope. We can give them encouragement. We can help them with purpose. If salt were to become contaminated... Its ability to change and help change things, it diminishes. It's not going to be able to add the flavor or act as a preservative because it's contaminated. In the same way, if we allow the world around us to influence or contaminate our lives, then we will lose our effectiveness in being useful to Jesus and His purposes. This is so important because the church should be influencing the culture instead of the culture influencing the church. And what do you see today? Unfortunately, you see, more often than not, the culture influencing the church. It's supposed to be the other way around. Now, another use for salt in the days of Jesus was to be thrown on manure piles to keep grass from growing. So if we don't make ourselves useful to him, then what the word is saying here is that we're not even useful to be thrown on a manure pile. That's a very strong indictment to not even be good enough for a big pile of poop. Right? True followers of Jesus will choose usefulness over uselessness by making themselves available to the Lord and His purposes, and they will resist being contaminated by the world around them. Now, Jesus said in our original text for today, in Mark chapter 1, verse 17, He said, Follow me. Two words. Out of all the things He could have said there, He said, Follow me. He could have said, Come to church. He could have said, study these books. He could have said, follow these rules. Read these devotionals. But he didn't say any of these things because none of those things in and of themselves make us a disciple of Jesus. And none of those things are guaranteed to change anything in our lives. But obeying his command to follow him will absolutely change your life. Guaranteed. And the only way to become a follower of Jesus is to actually follow Jesus. That means we live as He lived. That means His passion becomes our passion. That means His priority becomes our priority. We are called to be the body of Christ, which means we are His hands and feet. Are we going where He would go? Are we reaching into people's lives, offering them hope? Are we being good examples for the world who is watching us? When people see us, do they see Him? To follow Jesus, we have to leave the crowd of the world and actually follow Him. Which means we're going to have to choose faith over family. Sacrifice over self-centeredness. Pain over pleasure. Relationship over religion. 
commitment over convenience, stewardship over ownership, and usefulness over uselessness. To follow Jesus will cost us everything. Jesus lays down an incredibly high standard and cost of following him. But what I want to leave you with today is that it is more than worth it. It is more than worth it. Listen, Peter spoke on behalf of himself and the disciples after a very hard teaching that Jesus gave on what it takes to enter the kingdom of God. Here's what he said. He said this in Mark chapter 10, verse 28. He said, we've given up everything to follow you. That's what it takes. You've got to give up everything. That's what Peter's saying. Hey, we've done that. Now, I want you to listen to how Jesus responds. Here's what he says. Yes, Jesus replied, and I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake and for the good news will receive now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property along with persecution. And in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. Following Jesus is worth it, both in this life and the life to come. Jesus is calling you to follow him today. How will you answer? How are you going to answer? So I'm going to play a song, and as I do that, I'm going to have people come forward, and I want to invite you that if you need prayer of any kind, I want you to come forward. I'm not saying that you've got to come up here if this is the first time and you're trying to make you know, commitment to follow the Lord. This is not a salvation call. It could be. If that's you and you've never committed to Christ and you want to come forward and have someone pray for you, great, come forward, we'll do it. But this is for anyone. Whatever the Holy Spirit has laid upon your heart and you need prayer over, you recognize that maybe you've not been following Him the way you need to follow Him, And this is the time that you're saying, you know what, I want to commit to following him because I know it costs everything, but I am willing to to pay that cost. There'll be people right here to pray for you. Janice, Janet, others, David, Steve, any one of you that can come forward and help during this time, that would be awesome. Okay? I'm going to pray, and as I do that, I'm going to turn this song on, and I want you to just listen to the Holy Spirit and how he prompts you, how he, wherever he leads you. Father, we thank you for the word of God. This is an incredibly high standard that we've got to follow in following you. But that's what your word teaches. It is not a mamby-pamby kind of candy thing that I can get all I want and do all I want and do everything I want to do and follow you at the same time. No, we're to follow you. We're to do what your word says. We've got to come out of the world. We can be in the world, but not of the world. And I just pray, Lord God, that you'd remind us of what that looks like in our lives that we are to be set apart. Your word tells us that we are to be holy as you were holy. And it's hard work. Your word also tells us in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, that you, therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, for this is your spiritual act of worship. Lord, would you help us to live that out, to live that out, and that those who see that, that becomes endearing to them, like that salt that adds flavor. That's what we can do in people's lives, Lord. And then we can preserve the word of God. We can preserve the gospel by being out there and sharing it. So I just pray, Lord God, that you would encourage us to live out what we heard today. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. I have decided to follow Jesus.
Father, we love you so much. May we never turn back. No matter how hard things may get, no matter what happens in this world, may we keep our eyes fixed on you, Lord, the author and finisher of our faith. We thank you, Jesus, for today's word. We ask that you just help us to live it out and be an encouragement to everyone around us. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. God bless you guys. Have a great week.